there has never been so much disrespect for the house of God. I was taught that when we go to church, uh, that, that that is God's house, that we treat it with reverence, that we go in there expecting to hear the Word of God preached to us, uh, that we go in there and, and uh, intend to worship God, that we're going to sing songs, that we're not going to play with our phones and play on Facebook, uh, that we're not going to go in there and read magazines and things like that. Uh, this, is, this is a holy place. Now, I understand... I understand that, that we are that, that this is four walls in a building. I understand that, but this is the house of God. This is where believers come to meet. And Hophni and Phineas had taken advantage of the house of God, and God took notice of that. Don't you think God doesn't notice when we disrespect His house? He most certainly does notice it. Uh, I have uh, I work in a lot of. Uh, schools and, and different commercial places. There's been a few times I've been in some local churches. Uh, I won't mention any of them, Faith Promise. Uh, but they're, they're large churches. And what they do is they, uh, they put movie theaters in and they have coffee shops in there. And Hey, if you want a coffee, go to Starbucks. Don't come to church. The disrespect for the house of God. You, you know why I come to church? This right here. So the man of God will stand in the pulpit and he will preach the Word of God. That's why I come to church, because I want to worship. I want to praise the Lord. They had no respect for the temple of God. But if you look in verse number 13 down to verse 17, it says, The priest's custom and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice... Uh, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the flesh hook brought up and the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also before they burnt the fat, and the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. The second thing is they had no reverence for Almighty God Himself. Uh, God had a uh, had given a very particular order in which the sacrifices were to take place. Now, I won't get into detail of all those things for sake of time, but that Hophni and Phinehas, they worked against those things. They took what they wanted to of the sacrifice of God. You know what that was? It was stealing from God. It was having no respect for the person of God. It, it was seeing what God had instituted and, and what He wanted and completely uh, taking away from that and, and stealing from that. You know... The Lord, He has uh, things that He wants to work in a, in a church, uh, things that He expects. Uh, and, and this isn't anything to lift up anybody or, or, uh, or anybody that works in the church. Uh, but our, our pastor and our uh, teachers and the people that involve themselves with cooking and all of those things, those are people that are doing the service of God. And when we in any way uh, work against any of those people, it is working against God. Uh, it is disrespectful for God. You know, God called me to preach January of 2012. 
Uh, for two years, I didn't want to. Um, I, I ran from the Lord. I didn't, I didn't want to preach. I was preaching in a way to young people, but I just didn't want to say I was a preacher. Uh, and finally, God gripped my heart and He did that. Now, that, that's what, that is what God wanted me to do. But God has plenty of other people go out into the mission field or to go uh, door knocking or to just be a good layman and share the gospel out in their workplace. Uh, that's what God has given them. But whatever capacity God has you working in, for anybody to uh, disrespect you in working in that capacity is the same thing as disrespecting God and working against God. You know, uh, people don't realize when I, when I am sharing the gospel at work, which I try to do a lot, and I hope you do the same, when I try to share the gospel at work uh, and I'm in the middle of a conversation and somebody just jumps in knowing what I'm talking about and tries to make light of it, make fun of it, it's not that they're upsetting me, they're upsetting God. Here I have in front of me a lost person that if they die that very moment will die and go to hell. And they step in and they try to make light and joke and make fun of. That's disrespectful to God. That's sin. That brings sin into the lie. And I'll say thirdly, look at verse number 25. It says, If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. Eli confronted them about their sin, and he mentioned it to them. But it says that they hearkened not. They did not listen to what they knew was right. They were living without repenting. They were just going through the motions. Let me just say, hey, I can, I can throw on my suit and tie and I can throw my Bible under my arm and, and I can go to church and I can stand up here and Miss Melissa can play the piano and I can lead singing and I can do all of those things, but I can also have sin in my heart and refuse to repent. And guess what happens when I do that? God will not work in my life. It displeases God and it hurts me. It doesn't just hurt me. Uh, I am the father, I am the male figure, I am the authority of my home. If I do wrong, if I live unrepentant, it hurts my wife. If I live unrepentant, it hurts my children. If I live unrepentant, it hurts the young people in my ministry. You see, what I'm getting at is even though Hophni and Phineas were wicked men, us as believers, if we allow sin to come into our lives unchecked and not dealing with it and not repenting for it, then God will not work in our life. It removes us out of the will of God completely. And here we have in the fourth chapter of Samuel, men that thought that they were going to go in and they thought that they were going to destroy the Philistines, yet they lost the battle. You want to know why you can't win battles in your life? It's because something is hindering you. Do you believe God has the power? I most certainly do. Do you believe that God is able to help us to overcome and to gain victory over every single thing in our life? Absolutely, He is capable, He is able. But what keeps us from being able to do that? Having things in our lives keep us from being able to do that. Sin keeps us from being able to serve God. I move on to a second thing. Look back at uh, chapter 3, verse 13. It says, For I have told him that I will judge the house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Eli was an accessory to their sin. You know, what happens is, let's say that, uh, that Brother Toby and I hop in the store, and he says, uh, hop, in, hop in a store, hop in a car, and he says, hey, let's go rob that store up there. He might say something like that. You never know. 
And I say, no, we shouldn't do that, Toby. And he says, yeah, let's do that. And I, I pull up and I let him hop out. And he goes and he robs the store and I drive off. Guess what I am? I'm an accessory to robbery. I'm guilty before a court and before a judge. Uh, I, I do not stand innocent, but I stand guilty before them. Eli says that he restrained them not of their sin. He was first off indifferent to his children's sin. Can I say that part of the problem that we are in today with young people is we have adults that are indifferent to their children's sin? Uh, I have my two little babies, and I love them to death. Uh, but let me tell you, and it grieves me, but let me tell you, I will not put up with disrespect and rebellion even from a two-year-old little boy. Because guess what? I know, I know, that's harsh, that's mean. Guess why? Because a rebellious two-year-old turns into a rebellious 20-year-old. And a rebellious 20-year-old will rebel against his teachers, against his bosses, against the police, and he'll end up in jail with my buddy preaching to him in jail. That's why I'm against a two-year-old even being rebellious. People are indifferent to their children's sin. And Eli, he restrained them not. He allowed, uh, he, he allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do. Now, you can say, well, Eli, he confronted them. He said things to them. Well, just saying something but not doing something still makes you guilty. If you have young people, maybe you say, well, I had my children a long time ago. Do you have grandparents? Do you, ha- uh, do you have grandchildren? Do you have nieces and nephews? Do you have uh, young people that are in the church? Listen, if you see somebody, especially a young person, that's living in sin or doing something wrong, stop them, confront them about them, and explain to them that it displeases God and it hurts them. Listen, I'm tired of seeing young people walk around with a chip on their shoulder and with an attitude like adults owe them something. Listen, I was taught as a young person that I'm to respect my elders. And when I was taught to respect my uh, grandparents and my parents, it helped me as I got older in school. It helped me whenever I went to college. And guess who it helped me with the most? God. Because when God dealt with me, I had already been taught to be obedient. When God dealt with me, I'd already been taught, don't you be rebellious to authority. I listen to God. And our children, our our little bitty babies and our young people, if they don't learn at a young age to listen and to obey authority now, hey, they may not listen to their teachers, they may not listen to the police or the judge, but listen, they better listen to God. Because they will refuse what God wants for their lives if we don't teach them at a young age how to live for God. We shouldn't be indifferent to their sin. But let me say another thing. He also was indifferent to the nation of Israel's sin. You say, wait a second, we're talking about Hophni and Phinehas here. We are talking about Hophni and Phinehas here. But uh, go with me to uh, chapter number 2 again, verse 23 and 24. The Bible says, And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear ye make the Lord's people to transgress. The sin of Hophni and Phinehas trickled down into the people of Israel because it says that they abhorred the offering of the Lord. They didn't want to take part in any of this because they hated Hophni and Phinehas and the things that they were doing. Eli became indifferent to the nation of Israel's sin. Now, this is the priest became indifferent to the nation of Israel's sin. How bad is our nation in sin right now? You turn on the news, my goodness, I, saw, I read on the news just the other day online. I don't even hardly watch the television uh, news anymore. It's all a bunch of hogwash anyway. Uh, but I was reading the news online, and they said that they had they just come out with a television show that was breaking new ground. They had two 13-year-old boys that were kissing each other. 
And I thought, God help us. Kids. Now listen, they might like to push that, but the bottom line is those are, those are children actors, and they're sitting there pushing them, pushing them into sin, pushing them into sin. Homosexuality is running rampant in our country. Abortion running rampant in our country. The murder of young people. How sad it is to think about all the, the millions of babies that have been murdered here in our country by our own people. I wonder which one would have been the one to cure cancer. I wonder which one would have been the next Charles Spurgeon or would have started the next great American revival or that would have led one of our family members that we've prayed for, God help us, to be saved. What a wicked thing. But if we stand indifferent to the sin going on in our nation, listen, and I'm with you, I'm guilty sometimes myself. I don't do everything that I should, but listen, just talking about it isn't enough. We need to do more. At the very least, we ought to know what the Word of God says about it, not say, well, you know, somewhere in the Bible it says something like or similar to, don't take it exactly. Know what the Bible says pertaining to these sins and take it to the public that's committing these sins. Show them what God really thinks about these things because we stand guilty if we just stand by and let things happen. We stand guilty. He was indifferent to his children's sin, to his nation's sin. He was also indifferent to his own sin. Verse 13 again in chapter number 3, the very first thing it says, "For uh, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. Oh, Eli knew about it. Eli was very well aware of it. And because he knew about it, he knew that it was sin in his own life. He knew that if he did nothing about it, which he didn't plan to because he didn't, that it would be sin in his own life. And sin crept in. How many of us, listen, my hand's the first person up. I haven't even asked the question yet. How many of us has let sin into our life and it's hurt us before? Boy, all it takes is just a little bit, isn't it? Just a little bit of sin. Oh, it's not going to hurt you. Oh, everybody else does just a little bit of this. Oh, you're pretty good most of the time. Boy, and you barely crack that door open and Satan, he just steps right in. And he hurts you. He wants to destroy you. And if he could take your life, he would do that. It's only the grace of God. Eli, he became indifferent even to his own sin. And can I say, what, why are we here? Why are you here tonight? Why do we come on Sunday morning? It's to glorify God, but also it's so that we may be in effect for God, that we may do things for God so that we can see heaven expand, so that we can see those that we bring up in prayer requests that we mention, that we ask others to pray for, so we can see them saved. You know, I have seven people I pray for regularly. Seven people that I pray for. Some of them are saved and out of church. Some of them have never been saved. They're all family members. If I let sin into my life, I may still have a great desire for them to be saved, but I will be of no effect talking to them. God won't bless my efforts. God doesn't bless us when we have sin in our lives. And I, listen, I know this is the Wednesday night. I, I get that. But like I said, this is what the Lord has given me. I'm not pointing at anybody saying, oh, you have sin or you have sin. I'm just simply giving you the warning that God's given me to give you tonight. The third and the last thing, we, we see that they had made themselves vile and that he restrained them not. But let's look over in chapter number 4, verse number 21. Many of us are familiar with this. Let's read, let's read 19 through 21. 
And his, daughter, and his daughter-in-law, this is talking about Eli's, Phineas's wife, was with child near to be delivered. And when she, heard, when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed, herself and, she bowed herself and travailed, and her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory of God is departed from Israel. Israel had stood before the Philistines, and they had gone to battle, and everything looked right. They even had the ark there with them. And for all accounts, that should have helped them win. But God still wasn't there. God had departed. His glory had departed. Sin had come into the camp. You, we read in verse number 10 there that the Philistines, they fought them and that they were, uh, that they were smitten. Over 30,000 of them died. And yet we see the glory of God had departed out of Israel. Can I say, I, I've been going to Walridge Baptist Church for three years now and I love this church. I love each and every one of you that I've gotten to know. Uh, I appreciate our work. To, I look at it as a joint effort, a work together in ministry to lead the lost to Jesus Christ. But let me say that if we let sin into our lives, and it only takes a little bit, it's not going to take very much for the glory of God to depart from this place. Church after church we see closed. Or we see somebody new and fresh move in there that, uh, that says, hey, let's try changing things up. And they change things up and run it in the ground. And God departs out of that place. I don't want to see that happen here at our church. I, I, listen, am I saying that that's about to happen? No. Listen to me, though. Am I saying that that could happen if we let sin in? Absolutely. It most definitely could. The glory of God departed from Israel, and they lost their battle against the Philistines. The first thing I want us to notice is that God's presence departed. The presence of God departed. Look at verse 5. It says, When the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang. I could just picture them seeing the ark come in and shouting, Praise God! The ark is here. Victory is ours now. Yet God wasn't there. The ark was there, but God was not there. Because the victory was not won. The glory of God had departed out. And I understand that the ark had been taken and that it had been removed, but let's stick with this application. The presence of God was not in that camp. Isn't the fellowship of God a sweet thing? I tell you, we don't pray enough. Maybe I just don't pray enough. Maybe y'all pray ten times better than I ever do. I don't, I'll talk about myself. I don't pray enough. You know, when I really sit down, and praying is a hard thing to do. Have you noticed that? My goodness, you start praying and the phone rings and text messages go off and uh, nuclear bombs go off. I mean, it, it, the devil does anything and everything to keep you from talking to God. It's because it's a powerful thing to be in the presence of God. And man, I'll, I'll get down and I'll pray and I'll talk to God and it's no time that I can just feel His presence there with me. What sweet fellowship to have the presence of God right there with you. What an amazing thing that such a small, sinful little person like me, God would still bestow His grace upon me and save me and then want to meet with me and then want to have fellowship with me. Can I say I've lived in times without fellowship with God? I'm ashamed of it. 
I was saved when I was 13, like I told you. The church that I grew up in was a small little country church. Uh, they preached salvation every service they had, which was Sunday morning. Sunday night was reserved for choir practice. They didn't have a Wednesday night service. Uh, I didn't know any different. I didn't know any, any different. I thought that was normal. And I'll be honest with you, when I got saved at 13 years old, I thought, hey, I'm done. I'm saved. I'm locked in. You know, I'll go to church Sunday mornings, and that's the end of it. I, did, I had no idea. I had not been taught. Nobody had discipled me and taught me that there's, a, uh, that there's the entire Word of God to teach me, to help me grow, to, to uh, light a path for me to walk down, to walk in the will of God and to have a relationship every single day with God and to have His presence. And I grew up just thinking that, well, I'm saved, and that's the end of it. And as I got older, and listen... This isn't picking at any of you. I don't know what you listen to or what you do. But I played music when I was a young person. I still like music if it's decent. Uh, but I played music and I got into stuff uh, that I should not have been into. Listening to songs that lifted up sin, that lifted up uh, drugs and, and alcohol and fornication and, and uh, uh, wicked, just flat wickedness. Things that spoke of hell and Satan and things like that. Uh, and before too long... Uh, my heart had grown callous to certain things of God. And all it took was one little battle that I lost that sent me in a huge downward spiral. My grandfather got sick, and he had a stroke. And those of you don't, that don't know me well, uh, I won't go into detail just for sake of time, uh, but my parents died when I was young. Now, grandparents were raising me, and I felt like that was all that I had left was my grandparents. And then my grandfather, when I just turned 18 and went to college, had a stroke. And I thought, God, I'm done. I'm tired. I don't want to keep, keep on with this. And I decided, I'm just going to live life the way I want to. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I got out and I started living the ways that I wanted to. And I started thinking that I was really living it up. And let me tell you, especially you young people, it was the darkest time of my life. To be away from the fellowship of God and the presence of God. Listen, I was saved. I felt the conviction. I felt the soft, sweet voice still deep in my heart. Oh, but I did everything I could to shut it up to push it away, to not listen to it, to get it out because it hurt. The presence of God, such a wonderful thing. The Lord, He, what a wonderful God we have. He forgave me. He, he doesn't do this for everybody, but he, he put a sweet girl in my life that lived godly. <laughs> and I thought, man, I could, is there any way that I could ever date a girl like that? God's going to have to do that. And I remember throwing away cigarettes and pouring out alcohol and getting all that stuff out of my life. Y'all just forgive me a second. God's so good. The presence of God, what a great and wonderful thing. But we are completely and totally ineffective without it. God's presence had departed from that place and because His presence was there, His power was gone. 
The power of God had departed. You know, I love seeing a young person saved, and if I could walk around knocking each of them on the head and saving them left and right, I'd do it. But it's the power of God that saves. Not me, not my own desire or will. It's the power of God that does it. And if the presence of God isn't there, then the power of God is not there. If we're going to be a powerful church, we have to have the presence of God, and it's just, a, it's just something that uh, one step after another, sin comes in, we don't keep it out. The presence of God leaves and the power of God leaves. We have no effect anymore. We have no ability anymore to see things change. Listen, I'm not here to see. I would love, I would love to see. Don't get me wrong. All of these pews, each and every one of them filled from Sunday morning to Sunday night to Wednesday night. I'd love to see so much of it. We had to have a Thursday night and a Friday night service or, or all that. I'd love to see that for all of us to grow, but it's not an issue of numbers. I want to see the power of God work. You know, when I first started in the youth ministry here, I came from a church uh, where I was working. I was, I was in charge. God's in charge. I was in charge of about 50 teenagers that rode the bus. And I came here, and I knew I wouldn't have 50 teenagers. Uh, but I was excited, and my focus was, hey, the Lord, He'll help us. We'll disciple these young people, and in no time, we'll have even more coming in. The church will really grow. And I noticed after a little while, and we have grown, but I noticed after a little while, the numbers thing wasn't adding up the way that I expected it to. Isn't it funny how God changes things, how we expect from it to? And you know what I realized? God gave me a certain number of young people because those are the specific ones that He wants for me to minister to. Because those are the ones that I can make a difference in their life. I'm not focused on how many we can get in here. I'm focused on the ones that we have to see the power of God work. I don't know what God has for these young men here or these young ladies here. They may go into the mission field. They may be next great preachers. Or you know what? They might just be the next best uh, church member here at Wall Ridge Baptist Church that uh, gives the gospel out at, at, at their uh, workplace or out in public. Nothing in the world wrong with that. But, you know, I want the will of God for their lives. And I want the power of God on their lives. I want to see that. And the last thing, and I'll finish. We see the glory of God had departed. His presence departed. His power departed. And the peace of God departed. Like I told you, I'd stepped away from the fellowship of God. And guess what stepped away with God? The peace of God. What a wonderful peace we have in terrible times when we're where we should be with God. How we could, we could spend hours and days up here going over testimony after testimony of men and women of times past that have stood up, that have uh, preached the gospel, that have gone into the mission field, that have had terrible things happen to them, yet they've had peace the entire time that they have been there. If you felt the peace of God, you know that there is nothing that can uh, equate to that. It's the peace you feel when you get saved. What a wonderful peace to know that you're lost and bound for hell in one moment, and then the very next moment you're saved, and God to give you that peace and to help you. So I'll close with this. The battles that we have in our life are many. And I've learned the more that we live for God, the more that we're going to encounter. The more that we try to uh, do even more for God. Hey, listen, the second that we step up, to try to live for God is the second that, the, uh, that Satan steps in. And he's going to try to hurt us. He's going to try to tear us down. He's going to try to discourage us. But if we stay committed to God, we stay committed to keeping ourselves from sin, stay committed to keeping others out of sin, then we'll see the glory of God will not depart from this place. It will stay with us. He will bless our efforts. 
His presence will stay here, and He'll give us peace above all.